Hi, everybody. Welcome to the September 2nd, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the latest developments in the $700,000 suit over legal fees stemming from the 2012 Aurora Theater shooting. At one point, four surviving victims were appealing the U.S. District Court judge's decision that would require them to pay the theater's legal fees. Since then, there's been at least a deal offered that would waive those fees if all of the families involved gave up the ability to appeal the decision. That's still in flux. Patty Cahoon from Westward, it's been a difficult uh, situation all the way around. A, that it went this far, that there are still folks that might be on the hook for $700,000, uh, giving up the right to appeal. As you look at this, what's your reaction? Well, it was a difficult case in the first place. So this would be a good outcome in a horrible situation if they could not be responsible for paying the legal fees, all the victims adding insult to injury. And we also had another good development this week, which is the memorial. They've started work on the memorial for the Aurora shooting victims. They did finally get their uh, funding uh, guaranteed there. David Copa from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. At one point, uh, there was actually some critics about the legal representation from the victim's family's point of view. Did you see a problem on that side, or is this how it's supposed to roll? It's how it rolls, and that that's what law is, is you have rules that you know in advance, and then in the, the court you apply the uh, existing rules to the, the facts as they're proven in court. Uh, this shows the, uh, sometimes the Denver Post editorial page is actually on the cutting edge, because back in June, when the, the request for this uh, legal fees to which the defendants are legally entitled under the law uh, was filed, the Post said this could actually be something where they then make a deal, which is plaintiffs give up their right to appeal and Cinemark waives its right to the $700,000 in legal fees. And apparently that's exactly what's happening with uh, something that was uh, approved by the court, a stipulation on Wednesday. Not all of the plaintiffs have, have said they'll go along with it. so. If they don't want to, they, they can go to, to and appeal it, uh, knowing that they're going to have the legal liability, even then by themselves, uh, for not only trial court legal fees, but also uh, the appellate court legal fees. Eric Sonnen, political analyst, beyond all the, the different legal aspects of this, uh, does Cinemark come out okay, I guess, in the, the court of public opinion, uh, if they do indeed go through this deal and, lead, and uh, waive the fees? I think Cinemark comes out as well as Cinemark can come out, and that's all they can hope for. I'm largely with Patty here. I think if this deal goes through, it's a good resolution in a very tough circumstance. You don't want these people to be victimized again. Lord knows they have been victimized enough. At the same time, I do believe in the notion as a general concept of loser pays as an incentive to get rid of frivolous lawsuits. I'm not suggesting there's anything frivolous about what happened in Aurora. But this was a lawsuit that was not destined for success. Uh, they were going after a deep pocket in, Cinem in Cinemark. Uh, so I don't object as a matter of principle to the notion that the plaintiffs would be liable um, for legal fees. But if there can be a deal to avoid it, let's do it. 
Penn Tate ra uh, rounds out the panel, uh, turning with QTAC Rock, also a former state lawmaker. Um, wrap it up for us. Do you think the deal gets done? I hope the deal gets done because I think uh, it's the it's the right result. You know, this is a tough lawsuit to begin with because the plaintiffs were basically arguing that Cinemark should have known to have more security to protect them from some random madman who shows up armed to the teeth and starts killing innocent people. And I think a lot of people had trouble with that proposition, and indeed the jury did, um, as did the judge. Uh, and and um, you sort of have to give Cinemark credit here because they made an offer like this previously when the judge indicated he was probably going to rule in their favor and most of the victims' families opted out of going further, but four families insisted on pressing this issue. Then they got whacked for Cinemark's legal fees. So for Cinemark to come back, and I think they are doing this to sort of rescue their public perception, but at the end of the day, it's the right result. Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump visited Mexico City this week. He and Mexico's President Enrique Peña Nieto held a joint press conference in which Trump's immigration stance seemed muted. He later in the same day addressed supporters in Phoenix and reverted to previous points related to immigration, including building a wall at the border and having Mexico pay for it. Uh, Patty, I guess it's not surprising to hear two different stances on the same issue in the same day in 2016, uh, but what was your reaction? Well. All the anticipation of his softening on immigration that we heard about earlier in the week, and then you kind of had a kumbaya moment in Mexico, interesting the trip, a lot of good political theater, and then all of a sudden we're back to the wall. The people you have to feel really bad for are the Latino, um, the Latino leaders who are working with Trump, trying to get him to soften things. If they've been interviewed and they said, we really thought we had some deals, he was going to go different ways. We lost a lot of face in our community because we were working with him and they were like, we're done with Trump. I will say this, someone should keep Trump away from Twitter for at least 10 minutes because he immediately jumps to the bait. It's like dog with a bone. <laughs> David, uh, what do you think would possess uh, President uh, Peña Nieto to have any motivation to agree to a meeting with Donald Trump? Well, people have talked about that because there was a lot of objections in, in Mexico. His approval ratings are at, at 20 percent uh, in Mexico uh, because, A, it came out that he, he plagiarized his school thesis, and, B, his government's been covering up government massacres of innocent people. Uh, so he succeeded, at least, in changing the topic for a while. Um, loser on this, Ann Coulter. Her big new Trump worship book comes out at exactly the same time when Trump starts uh, vacillating on the issue. And as she says in the book, his, for, his supporters will forgive him for anything except changing his mind on immigration. And in this lead up to it, I think we had 11 different immigration positions in, in, in nine days. Winner on this, Sarah Palin, because you can criticize her uh, for her stream of consciousness, James Joyce type speaking, including the in, invent, poetically brilliant invented language. But once you, once you read it, you know, you read what she says over, over the years, she has consistent positions on the issues. They may not be deep, but they're, they're consistent. Whereas Trump has no consistency. This exercise where we're trying to say, oh, well, what does he really think? It's like looking at a Jackson Pollock splatter painting and saying, well, what does this tell us about what Jackson Pollock thought about the capital gains tax? It doesn't tell us anything. 
language has no meaning to Trump. His word has no meaning to Trump. He violates his business contracts all the time, which are actually fairly certain things, that you do this and I'll pay you that. He doesn't even live up to that. So his supposed positions on immigration and anything else are, are just a, a, a sham. He says what he's feeling or thinking at the moment, and that doesn't mean that he's going to have that same position 10 minutes later. Uh, there, as Gertrude Stein said about Oakland, uh, there's no there there. <laughs> Eric, you always get a great segue from uh, uh, Davis, something a little more poetic than usual. Um, the, the presidential look of a press conference, a joint press conference with another head of state, that, that, that looked really presidential. Does that look have any legs for those middle squishy voters who have yet to decide? Maybe. I mean, Trump, you know, one day he does something good. We talk about a reset. He's looking presidential. Then to Patty or whomever he goes off on Twitter 20 minutes later and completely blows any progress he made. It's, it's a complete roller coaster ride uh, and not a day by day, but an hour by hour, almost minute by minute roller coaster ride with this guy. I'm not sure I have a ton to add in terms of the immigration and the visit to Mexico. David talked about the losers here. Uh, I think the biggest loser, when you talk about just presidential rates in a much bigger setting, it's just the American people. We are facing a historically awful choice here. It's a choice the country really doesn't want to make. Uh, Hillary Clinton, by all rights, should have put this guy away. This should be a 10 to 12 point election, 400 electoral votes, um, over and done with. And maybe it will end up there. Because in Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton has found the one and only candidate that she can probably beat and maybe beat convincingly. But yet the polls still show their closing after everything Donald Trump has done to disqualify himself. Now, the battleground polls, I mean, the Electoral College map still very much favors her. I take some of the up and down with the, of the polling with a grain of salt. But um, Peggy Noonan, if anyone uh, has access to Peggy Noonan, she has a great column in this morning's Wall Street Journal. She talks about this being a depression versus anxiety election. Uh, anxiety is Donald Trump, depression is Hillary Clinton, or it's a fear versus loathing election. Fear is Donald Trump, loathing is voting for Hillary Clinton. It is, it, it is just a miserable choice we're facing, and uh, as a country, we need better, we deserve better. Uh, ben, I guess ripping off of what Eric just said, are you surprised we're not hearing more about third-party candidates when you're seeing, I mean, we have all the stuff about immigration stuff on Donald Trump this week. Then we had uh, more email headlines this morning on Friday uh, regarding Hillary Clinton. I don't have the details, making it to a topic, but I, I guess if there's ever going to be a time for a Gary Johnson, a Jill Stein, this seems to be it. Do you think we'll see greater growth in that area? You know, I, I think we will, and I, and I note you're trying to have me put a smiley face on all of this, so I'll see what I can do. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I think we will. You know, I think it's interesting, and maybe it's just in our market, but Gary Johnson has begun to run radio ads now. So I've heard a few of his radio ads, and interestingly enough, one of the um, um, people on the radio ads promoting him is a Latino who's talking about, I am a Latino, I have historically been a Republican, but I'm voting for Gary Johnson, and here's why. So um, he's running radio ads, it's targeted, it's focused, he's clear what constituency he's going after. And Eric's right, this most recent thing with, with Mexico, the American people are the worst off, and I suppose the second place losers are the Mexican people, because, you know, their president had a chance to stand up, stand firm. Uh, 
I don't blame him, Nieto Pena, for Pena Nieto, for inviting Trump to Mexico. That's the appropriate thing to do. I do blame him for not standing up and just saying in the press conference, yeah, thanks for showing up, but we're not building a wall. We're not paying for anything. Um, you want to do a building on your side of the, the border and, and knock yourselves out. He didn't do it. And so his people suffer for him not standing up to Trump. The American people suffer because Trump has now alienated um, our neighbor to the south and the people that live there with this craziness. And, you know, I've almost reached the point where I think I've decided Donald Trump may be criminally narcissistic because people are looking for him to act presidential if that matters to you. He can't do it because he isn't. It, it, you are what you are. This is a guy who's driven solely by what he wants and what he thinks at any given time, which means he has the right to change his mind if he feels like it because he's him. It's pretty fitting that we have a 140-character device like Twitter to, uh, <laughs> to be the tool there, but let's move forward. Two proposed initiatives that would have addressed limitations on hydraulic fracturing in Colorado failed to make the ballot this week. Governor John Hickelooper noted that although this won't be taken to voters in November, it's clear to him that these issues still deserve a response. Meanwhile, some Green activists are pushing Hillary Clinton to refuse to place Hickelooper in her cabinet if she were to win due to his ties to the oil and gas industry. Uh, David... Um, what do you think John Hickenlooper has to respond to the situation at all? I, I think he's doing his best. The problem is he's rational and scientific, and the people on the other side of this are, are neither. Um, if they actually believe, on the one hand, they're hysterics because they believe that, that, that man-made global warming, which I think that the Cato Institute, where I'm, I'm associated with, says, yeah, that, that is part of the warming trend over the last century, has had some relation to, to man-made activities. It, it's, it's a real thing, but their belief is it, they're, they're catastrophists. Uh, you know, it's like they, they read the book of Revelation and just uh, change the whole thing to, into eco-terms. If, if, but if, on the one hand, if that's really true and they really think it, then they ought to be totally behind nuclear power, which is not perfect, but would supply huge amounts of energy uh, with no global warming at all. And countries like France and England, among others, show that when you do it properly, you can do it in a safe way. But yet they're, they're against that because their, their really religious view is that energy may only come from certain approved modes of wind and solar and things like that, which are not even close to being able to satisfy American energy needs. And so, well, we shouldn't use so much energy. So fine, we can go, go back and live like we were in the 1880s and their utopia. But from Hillary's point of view, her donors, you know, the Tom Steyers and all that, they're not going to, the California billionaires, they're not going to go live in the 1880s, but they're going to demand uh, the policies to put the rest of us back into that. And if you want to know what Hillary Clinton thinks, well, follow the money. So I don't think Hickelooper is going to make it into uh, the cabinet in interior. Uh, he might be a very good choice on uh, commerce uh, because that's really just spreading corporate welfare around uh, for international trade and things like that. And he's got, he's certainly got the experience on that. Eric, two years ago, we narrowly missed an 11-ballot-issue battle royale. It was going to be epic. And there was a, a meeting, a summit with Jared Polis and John Hickenlooper. They nearly got him off the ballot. Two years later, we have two ballot issues that can't even get enough signatures. What happened in two years? Several things happened. The funding for the proponents, i.e. Jared Polis, largely went away or put his checkbook away. Secondly, the price per barrel of oil 
went from $100 to 40 maybe it's now around $50 a barrel. Uh, this issue will ultimately get resolved at the ballot box in Colorado, as all major issues go to the ballot box eventually. But it's likely to happen when the price per barrel goes back up, so the companies are really much more active again, and the impacts are much more intense. My punchline for this year, Dominic, compared to where we thought we were going to be, and I know you're planning these debates that I'm a part of, that Colorado decides on this uh, air is getting ready to start taping and airing, but we thought we were going to have a huge ballot, and it's a, ballot, uh, a huge list of ballot issues. We still have a number of them, but I'm taken with what is not on this ballot. We do not have a fracking fight that we were expecting. We do not have a wine and beer, liquor and grocery store fight that was going to be an incredible battle royale that broke all spending records. And we do not have a Tabor measure, referendum, mini referendum C or whatever it is that was seemingly coming out of the Better Colorado effort. Those are three big issues that we were thinking were going to be here, which are not here. In terms of the issues that are here, I, uh, I keep thinking that after two more months of Hillary versus Trump, that assisted suicide measure is going to start looking really attractive. <laughs> we, we are in gallows humor today. Uh, Penn, uh, again, our, our, our shot of optimism here, giving you your best shot. Uh, does John Hickler need to worry about the reaction from Greens on this? Uh, he does, uh, and he needs to worry about the reaction from the oil and gas industry because, you know, the history is this is all going to go to the ballot two years ago. There were all these competing measures. He's the one who brokered the deal. It turns out now it's the deal that nobody really likes, and everybody wants to undercut and change. And so what we've bought is a stalemate but no real peace. And so this matter is, is, is not resolved. I'm not convinced he can now be the convener to bring everyone back together to get the more perfect piece. I think this may be the war of the initiatives. Um, and frankly, if raise the bar passes, it may be difficult for any of these people to get their measures approved um, to be considered in the first place, which is an ironic situation. Here's the last thing to consider, and it's a big picture question. There are some economists and scientists who will now tell you that with the drive towards alternative energy uh, in, in the United States, that our consumption of oil and gas is plummeting so rapidly that the, the, the price of oil isn't going to go back up to $100 a barrel. Where it is now may be where it stays, and it may be continue to, continue to drop because it's entirely possible that we currently have more reserves and more refining and processing capacity than we'll ever need because our dependence on fossil fuels is declining more rapidly than the need to produce more fossil fuels. Patty, at the end of the day, were you surprised that these are the two issues that couldn't make the ballot because of signatures? I was surprised because you you know it's a Herculean feat, but you can do it. And if you went through even taking it out, all the publicity, driving up in the U-Haul, why they didn't just push that much harder because the, people care about the environment here in Colorado. You can usually get people to sign a petition that says this is pro-environment if they're not reading at all. Of course we're going to see this come back on a ballot at some point or other because people care about the environment in Colorado. We live in a beautiful place. If it's not fracking, it's going to be coal, it's going to be air pollution. There are a lot of issues. So I think Hickenlooper was smart to at least say we'd like to listen. We're going to have to have the discussion of the environment ongoing over the years. Um, 
But the fact is, I don't think he necessarily even wants to be Secretary of the Interior. I'm not sure why we had this national push all of a sudden. We already know Udall's name has been floated for that, that Ritter's been, name has been floated for Department of Energy. Hickenlooper has a lot of different places he could fill two years from now if that's what he wanted to do. The Blue Book for the 2016 Colorado ballot created some controversy this week. Proponents of the two measures regarding a presidential primary and opening up primaries to unaffiliated voters claim that wording added by a bipartisan group of legislators added considerable bias. Eric, from what we've seen of this issue, and this came out on Friday, so it's, a, it's, it's new to a lot of folks, uh, do you think the proponents have a point? I do, I do think the proponents have a point. I think they have a right to be outraged by this, but more importantly than what the proponents think, it's what the voters of Colorado think. There are two issues here, and I think I'm only going to address one. One, The first issue is the merits of the two ballot measures. I think Penn and I probably disagree, but maybe there'll be some other time to air that disagreement. For me, this right now, today, is a process question. You have something amidst all the propaganda, all the hype that is out there in a political campaign, you have something that voters have come to really rely on for straightforward information, and that is the Blue Book. And efforts to politicize the Blue Book ought to be shunned and ought to be condemned. And this was such an effort to politicize it. You had a nonpartisan staff that ultimately wrote and vetted the pro and con arguments. And then you have legislators who have a vested interest in the current system, a vested interest in not opening up primaries any more than they are to independents who took that language and decided to bastardize it a little bit to load the decks against these initiatives. I think it's shameful. Penn, you're a former state lawmaker. You've seen this process. Uh, do you smell shenanigans? Not necessarily shenanigans, but this the optics aren't good, and this was not a good move by, by legislators. The nonpartisan staff does a great job of writing the blue book. And if you've never seen the process, what they do is they get the proponents and opponents of the different ballot measures together, and they craft wording sort of that everybody can live with and that everybody think fairly represents the pro side and the con side. Uh, and then a legislative committee sort of has to bless it all. You really need to find some egregious wording as a legislator before you go in and tinker and start changing the wording because that's why you've got the nonpartisan staff working directly with the affected constituencies. I don't know if anybody's trying to be crooked. I think Eric's right. You know, as a legislator, you do have a vested interest in the existing nominating process, so you may not want to change that. So it doesn't look good. Um, I don't support the idea in the first place, but I, I will concede the process, is, this process was not good, and it shouldn't have been done. Patty, since this was a bipartisan group that voted with this new wording, did we finally find something for lawmakers to agree upon in Colorado? Well, we found something for us to agree upon, which <laughs> is the Blue Book is really an incredible, useful tool for Coloradans. In general, you haven't had huge fights over it. This was, these were shenanigans the group didn't need. You know, as an editor, I can say, not as a lawyer, but you look at a sentence and everyone's going to read it differently. So, of course, people are going to disagree with how the Blue Book is phrased. But in, over the years, they have shown themselves to be very, very fair in their assessments. David, wrap it up for us. One thing that I think the uh, legislators said, which is actually true, you can argue about how that should go in the blue book, is if you hand everybody a ballot which has both primaries on it, Republican and Democrat, and so we don't care whether, you know, you can be a registered Democrat, but if you want to vote in the Republican primary, go ahead. Um, or if you're an independent, you don't have to affiliate with, you, you can walk in on the day of the election right now and affiliate with one party or the other and vote in their primary, but this would say it's everything's open for everything. You're going to have people who say, oh, I'm going to vote 
say in the Republican Senate primary because that's contested, and then in my state in my state representative race, I'm going to vote in the Democratic primary because that's where the contest is, and people are going to do that, and that is going to lead to probably about nine percent spoiled ballots, which is going to get into a complete fiasco uh, on election counting because we're going to have so many uh, spoiled ballots because people, in fact, will not understand that once you cast that first vote on one side or the other, you can you got to stay on that side for every other race down the ballot. Running out of time towards the end of the show, let's get to our very favorite part of it, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Patty, start us off. Well, I'm sorry this looks like it's going to become an ongoing disgrace, but the A-line to DIA, the endless amounts of trouble to the extent that now RTD is withholding some money from their public-private partnership partners who are supposed to be running this and have the contract for the next 34 years. Yeah, not a good week for RTD. Just remember all the promises and lies they told to uh, to get that passed in the first place. <laughs> Speaking of that, it now comes out that Iran's deal with the United States has secret clauses that the de- public deal says one thing about how much uranium they can enrich, but there's a secret understanding side clause that they can actually enrich much more than that. President Obama hid that from the public. Uh, he violated the direct law exactly on that topic. Michael Bennett voted for this catastrophic deal, and I think it's time that he step forward and say either he went along with this lie or he was lied to and he ought to change his position. Eric. I mean, back to RTD, for the sake of truth and advertising, maybe they should call it the C-minus line or something <laughs> like that. But uh, for my disgrace... Penn has hit this one before. He's dead on right, and I'm going to hit it today. Sports Authority executives, they had asked for uh, bonuses of 2.8 some odd million dollars for taking a company into bankruptcy. Uh, A bankruptcy judge just knocked that down from 2.8 to 1.5, but you still have three executives of Sports Authority who are going to walk away from this debacle with 1.5 million dollars. Penn. And I always thought failing a company was... F was failure, but anyway, <laughs> apparently you can fail to get $1.3 million. Um, I'm still, uh, my disgrace of the week is the president of Mexico. Um, he did the right thing by inviting Donald Trump, but it, it, that's the opportunity to set the record straight with someone who aspires to be president of the United States. Do what you want to do, say what you want to say to get elected in your country, but we're not building a wall and we're not paying for it. That was a simple thing for him to say. He didn't do it, and especially when he's so beleaguered and uh, embattled in his own country. I don't understand why. Running out of time. Say something nice about somebody. Really quickly, bumper sticker version. Happy Labor Day. Head to the Colorado State Fair in Pueblo and enjoy that tradition or taste of Colorado just down the street. One million Venezuelans in the streets on Thursday to uh, push for the removal of the socialist dictator. Eric. Denver Post lost two journalists this week, one current tense, Colleen O'Connor, in a tragic accident, one who was really a lion of that paper for many years, Tom Gavin, a political reporter, uh, both very good human beings and very good journalists. You're here. Go to the CSUCU game today. <laughs> That's all the time we had tonight. Thanks for tuning in. I want to give one quick shout-out about a great uh, program premiere next Tuesday. Street Level comes back brand new. We're going to be back with a uh, brand new, a fourth season, coming to Welton Street. That's right. We're starting the, the fourth season with Welton Street. We're excited to, to feature that. That's Tuesday at 7 o'clock. And, of course, as Eric alluded to, our debate series kicks off next Friday at 9 o'clock. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. Hey, you know this-